This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of American Enough is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. At a moment in time where U.S. Congress is at an approval rating of 13%, distrust in media is at an all-time high, and American institutions ranging from the Oval Office itself to the CIA to the FBI are also being questioned and chipped away at. Some might suggest that America is not only in retreat from the rest of the world, but the sense of moral duty, moral obligation, and decency that's come to be associated with public office is also eroding a bit. But Sam Jamal disagrees. 35 years old and raised in Fullerton, California, by a Colombian mother and Jordanian father, could not find this moment in history to be more important than to, in the words of Barack Obama, lace up, go out, and run for office. In a district labeled as California's 39th congressional district, Jamal says that his immigrant background is not only representative of its constituents, but is core to identifying how American identity can be shaped and how American policies can help support the middle class. As the son of both Latino and Arab American parents who came to this country to work hard and build a better life, Sam himself worked his way through high school, college, and law school with opportunities to serve in U.S. Congress as a chief of staff and in the Obama administration as a presidential appointee at the U.S. Department of Congress. But for many folks considering running for office, his experience didn't just end at the public sector's edge. He moved on to work for two Elon Musk-based ventures, one Tesla, the other Solar City, and also began his career as a civil rights attorney at the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. So at a moment where public institution, public service, public office, and some of our public officials are often questioned, dismissed, and even denied their sense of glory and dignity that was once espoused upon public entities— why is Sam so interested in running for Congress? This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. Sam Jamal, welcome to American Enough. Thanks for having me, Vikram. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for being with us. And uh, I guess we'll, I just want to start. You've had an interesting not only career, uh, both in the public and private sectors, but you also come from an incredibly interesting background. It's not every day that you see, you know, a, a, a parent from an Arab American community and a parent from a Latino community. Um, tell us just a little bit about your upbringing. And frankly, did anyone either then growing up or now ever ask you, hey, where are you from? Yeah, so um, I have a interesting background, to say the least. Uh, my father immigrated from Jordan, uh, my mother from Colombia, and they both came here in the late 60s. Uh, my dad came here with a few hundred dollars in his pocket and got off the plane and was pumping gas at a gas station. He, you know, his plan was to go to college, and he had started college but wasn't able to finish because one day his car broke, and he had to decide between paying for classes or fixing his car, and he needed to work, and so he spent his career working in uh, fast food at Jack in the Box. My mom came here to finish high school, and for her, she um, was you know planning to go to college as well, but then had to help her mom and just support the family. And so she um, basically went to work and spent her career as a teacher's assistant. They met in the early 70s and then got married and moved to the area where I'm running in. My child at home is just – Right now, is about a half mile outside of the current lines of the district, and 
these are a lot of the cities and communities I grew up in. And, you know, given my background, I, I tell folks every meal was a multicultural meal because we had both my parents, both my parents' foods and languages and cultures kind of just infused in our daily upbringing. And so I've always viewed this as a, you know, welcoming country where you have so many different types of people can kind of come together and, uh, you know, and running in this district, it's very diverse. It feels the same. And it, it's interesting because at a moment, at this moment in American history, it almost seems that that ethos of celebrating a wide tapestry of diversity, um, coming from different backgrounds, breaking bread with people of all stripes, and having that bread be sourced from different cuisines, um, that, that used to be celebrated. Uh, but now we, we tend to see commentary, um, everything from, you know, the president's national security policy that you know prioritizes America first from the rest of the world, um, or even immigrant policies or proposed pieces of legislation that you know focus on giving U.S. workers more jobs than any other person traveling into this country to seek opportunity. Um, at this moment, where we've built our entire history focused on that celebration of everyone. Um, and at this moment in which even the concept of e pluribus unum was just wiped off of the presidential coin to say make America great again by this president, um, does that celebration of diversity that is not only core to your upbringing but is core to your congressional district that you're that you're looking to represent, uh, does that matter in the same way? I think it does. Uh, so the 30, a little bit about the 39th district. 39th district. Um, has a lot of actual historical significance. The Nixon Library and birthplaces here. That's right. It is a um, northern Orange County, parts of Los Angeles County, and parts of San Bernardino County community. And it's a community that's changed over the years. Today, it's 35% Latino, 30% Asian American, which includes folks from Korea, China, India, Pakistan, all over Asia. And then you have a 2% Arab American and 2% African American. And so it's a very diverse community. It's also a very young community. The average age is 39, and it's largely a product of the tr transitioning California. And so, uh, you know, one of these things is diversity is celebrated here. There are still the tensions that do exist, like in Edinburgh community, where you have different types of folks there. But for the most part, you know, people have been embracing it because it's part of who we are. And you can have a cute cuisine from anywhere in the world and experience the face of anywhere of any different faith here. And it's just, so it's, it's kind of like a fascinating snapshot of what California is and what California represents. Um, while at the same time, you know, there are divisions there. And, you know, for me as a candidate, it's about uplifting voices and bringing folks together so that we don't let those divisions define us. That's a great point. Um, the, the divisions creating further chasms between communities uh, within the United States can only sort of you know, create, as, as has been stated before, more red states and blue states as opposed to the entirety of the United States. Um, but from your perch, I mean, you, you've been out there knocking on doors, uh, meeting uh, these various communities that you just described, understanding their concerns and their woes. Um, at the same time, though, of the 63 million Americans that may have voted for our current president, 
Um, there are many overtures and signals from from the last campaign and even with regards to current polling that when some people say in the heartland of America uh, take a look at the you know diverse makeup of say the California 39th, uh, they might find a, a reason to scapegoat um, you know immigrant populations for uh, undercutting their ability to get a job or they may scapegoat the concept of the quote unquote other or uh, you know people that may not look like them or have the same background of them as a reason as to why they are not seizing opportunity. Uh, but it almost looks like if you if you talk to both groups, um, many of them are, are sort of looking for the same uh, thing. You know, a chance to work hard, put food on the table, provide for their family, and you know have a good community. So as you've been talking to these disparate voices, is that characterization in which we kind of see the heartland versus the rest of the world, or the heartland versus you know liberal elites in California, is that a fair uh, division that gets uh, characterized? Or will have you found individuals end up uh, seeming a lot more like one another than they would have ever imagined? I think, um, you know, part of why I'm running is uh, there's two questions that I think are dominating politics today. What does it mean to be an American? Like, what's that definition of American? And there's a lot of folks from different backgrounds, immigrant backgrounds like myself, that were getting drawn out of that definition by people like Donald Trump. But then also there's a second question of is the American dream still possible? And I think like you kind of alluded to, that really unifies us. It's what, it, it's what we all share the same concerns. You know, I want to own a home and I want to make sure my kids can grow up there. And can I buy a home where I grew up or – you know, when it comes to healthcare, people want to make sure they can get care. They get sick, it won't bankrupt them, and it's going to be the best quality care that's in the world. And how you get there, there's differences, but that was, you know, there's a lot of core commonalities that people actually want. They want to make sure there's public safety. They want to make sure their kids get a good education. And I think sometimes as uh, Democrats, and I think Republicans have gotten away from this too, we don't focus on those kitchen table issues enough. The things that families are really concerned about or small businesses are really concerned about, we focus on these bigger picture abstract issues um, or our, what differentiates us in some of those divisions instead of the fact that, like, everyone's worried about if that next paycheck can help them get a little bit ahead or help them get by. And and so for me, like, why I'm running is both of those questions, you know, but, you know, largely rooted in the fact that, like, we've got to get down as a Democrat to those kitchen table economics, making sure that people can still save money for retirement, making sure that their kids don't go bankrupt on student debt from college, you know, making sure that good paying jobs are still available. And is that in in your perspective at this at this point, based off of those conversations you had, um, is is that the is that American dream still attainable? I think it is, but I think it's been on life support to some extent before Donald Trump. Uh, sorry. A uh, better way to put it is I think it was struggling in attainment before Donald Trump. I think now it's on life support with Donald Trump. And I say that because he's pushing policies that are only going to make it a lot harder to like build a lot of the foundation that we need to make sure the American dream is available. When you pass a tax cut that takes $1.5 trillion in deficit spending, we're going to have to pay for that. And what that means is we're going to probably have to pay for it with cuts in the current iteration of our government. That means cuts in education. That means cuts in health care. That means cuts in a lot of the basic things that allow people to be able to get ahead in the middle class. 
And yeah. so, you know, I think it's in danger, and it's been in danger for a while. I mean, I was up in Congress as a chief of staff as well as a Senate staffer, and what I saw was Washington stopped representing regular people a long time ago. And this is on both parties, really, but especially the Republicans. But there's been more concern with satisfying the biggest and loudest special interests as opposed to people in the actual neighborhoods who are trying to get by. Hmm. And that's been there for a while. I think that's why we saw the disconnect this past election and overall frustration that led some folks to vote for Donald Trump. And that also led folks to, you know, look at the Sanders candidacy as an outsider, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think it comes down to we've got to connect politics back to where people are and what they're concerned about. We've had a change election nearly every election since 2006. You know, the Democrats won the House and the Republicans won it back and just like – and it largely stems from just a frustration that things are getting harder, but government's not being responsive or even yeah. mentioning the issues people are concerned about. Yeah, and I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned you know the the type of candidacy that can resonate with people, particularly you know in speaking in terms of the outsider. Um, I think that frame could be applied from you know regardless of your politics uh, to Bernie Sanders in some respects, even though he was in the yeah. Senate for a while, an outsider in mentality. Uh, Donald Trump in many respects, an outsider in that he never held public office before, and Barack Obama, an outsider in terms of his background and what you know the Oval Office had, had seen before by way of, of race and an upbringing. Um, in all of those instances, it does seem that right now, in terms of the tenor of how to run a campaign, um, that the candidate itself and the, the candidate's ability to embody a value system or an ethos or a vision for where the country or the community ought to be directed can almost supersede or be more important than what a lot of uh, professionals in politics focus on, which is, you know, do you have enough money to run ads on TV or are you polling enough to make sure you're you know, targeting the right audiences? How in your conversations in the California 39th, how do you feel the right type of candidate ought to be um, in terms of what they represent and what they stand for for that community? Is there one sort of monolithic ethos that you can ascribe to that perfect candidate or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? Well, I think a couple things. Number one, we're we're talking about flipping a seat that has a 24-year incumbent Republican with roots in the community. That's right, Ed Royce. You, yeah, Ed Royce. You can't run a campaign that's just based on saying Ed Royce is Donald Trump. You know, like you've got to basically focus on what Donald Trump creates is a window for people to pay attention. And so, your job as a candidate is to get people to hire you. It's not a firing election. People aren't just going to fire Ed Royce as a Trump. But they are going to reconsider their decisions with him, and so you've got to get them to hire you. And I think the way to do that is you've also got to be rooted in the community. You've got to have connections to the community and deep ties. But then more so, you know, you've got to basically be able to give them an alternative they vote for. And you know, on my end, I've experienced working in government, working in both the Obama administration as well as Congress, and also have business backgrounds in Solar City and Tesla. And so it's giving people. A, an option to be for. And when it comes to running the campaign, the only way to beat Ed Royce is going to be on the ground and in these communities. Hmm. We're talking about the Southern California media market. It's very hard to penetrate this media market because there's one, there's going to be five other congressional, four other congressional races, plus a competitive gubernatorial race. So you're not going to be able to really penetrate the airwaves. You're going to have to actually get on the ground and get in communities and show people that they have an option to vote for. 
So, you know, you have to raise the money to have a targeted message on digital because that's how a lot of people consume their information. You know, uh, someone once told me when I was uh, looking to announce that Facebook is the Walter Cronkite of this generation. <laughs> that's how people get their news, is their sure. news feed. Yeah. You know, that could be a bad thing in some cases, but the reality is, like, just like Walter Cronkite would captivate people's attention with what they should pay attention to, so does our Facebook news feed. And, you know, so you've got to have a good digital campaign. You've got to do targeted mail because some people like mail in their mailbox. A lot of folks don't really check their mail anymore, but you got to have that. But then lastly, you just got to be smart, strategic, and on the ground and talking to people. And that's how you're really going to get the best sense of where people are because, you know, you can poll voters and they're all going to say they're concerned about the economy, jobs, and healthcare and housing. But what's really going to move folks is, are you going to fight for me or are you going to advocate for me? Things are changing around me and who's got my back. And that's where someone like Ed Royce, who's voting with Trump 97% of the time in a district that Hillary Clinton won by 8.6% just doesn't fit. You know, he just hasn't shown his ability or willingness to fight for us. And it's interesting that, you know, not not to necessarily litigate uh, Ed Royce's record precisely, but, you know, zooming out a little bit and talking about what you said in terms of the communities, the families in the California 39th really want someone to fight for them. And most recently, um, President Trump just signed a tax package, which promises reforms up and down, not only for corporations, but even for the middle class. In fact, his press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, is out there tweeting almost every other minute talking about how much money this will put in the pockets of middle class families. And even, uh, you know, the, the incumbent that you're challenging, Congressman Ed Royce, issued a, a press release statement, um, or sorry, a statement via press release saying that this is really going to help California families. At the same time, we've heard a lot of analysis, um, including from non-elected, uh, non-politicians. Um, CNBC recently said that the change in the tax package to the state and local tax deduction would actually reduce disposable income for many taxpayers, particularly in states like California or New Jersey or New York, um, and also reduce the financial flexibility uh, by increasing resistance to tax increases at the state and local level. So, you know, how do you how do you adequately fight for the people of the California 39th when the very people in that community are hearing one minute that the the tax proposal or policies are going to be in their favor versus the next minute they hear that they're going to fall out of that favor? I mean, how do we actually represent them in an earnest and honest way? Well, you know, the reality for people is. Most people here in the 39th, like Trump is like at 30% approval, something like that. So they don't trust what's coming out of Washington. And, you know, the reality is who would trust what's coming out of Donald Trump's mouth when it comes to the economy? You know, the guy's a snake oil salesman. And so when it comes to the tax bill, it's already a wildly unpopular bill. And it's for a whole host of reasons. I mean, if you're more moderate, you're going to be concerned about the deficit. If you own a home, you're going to be concerned because you're one of the thousands and thousands of people in the district who are going to see a tax hike because they lose their mortgage interest deduction. If you're uh, a student losing that student loan deduction is a big deal, or a senior losing a medical expense deduction, um, you know, I think people know that this bill is a bad deal. The Republicans are going to have to try to find good things about it to sell, but I think it's going to be hard. It's always harder to sell something once the public already decided where it stands. And on this bill, the public's clearly shown that 
they're not they're not a big fan of it and you know i think a lot of it's for a whole host of reasons but like you know not having a transparent process not having a real dialogue on the pluses and minuses of this they kind of ram this bill through and then also just the reality is this is a fundamental restructuring of our economy it's a big deal and when you look at something this big there's going to be repercussions down the road that we won't even fully realize. And so our job as Democrats and my job as a candidate is to walk people through what's in this bill, what's good about it, what's bad, and how can we fix it? Because hmm. people also want solutions. Uh, we've already held one town hall, the tax bill. We're going to hold several more over the course of the next five months. Um, and the reality is, you know, Ed Royce hasn't held the town hall since uh, 2010. Really, And so we decided that, you know, since he's not hosting town halls and explaining what he's doing in Washington, we'll do it for him. We'll hold town halls on the tax reform bill. We'll hold meetings and sessions, help people understand what's going on in Washington and how it affects them and do the job for him since he doesn't want to do it anymore. That's 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 an incredible, um, almost rebuking of democracy to not show up and be able to take questions um, from from other individuals. But but maybe it's also a reflection in many ways on Congress writ large. I mean, the institution is sacred and core to our republic, um, and and we hope more more. Uh, uh, individuals like you, regardless of their Democrat, oh, sorry, their their politics, Democrat, Republican, or in between, that they they stand up, they they represent their values, and they seek to represent their communities. Um, at the same time, though, as, as we sort of said at the top, um, the trust in the institution is, is somewhat dwindling. Um, right now, there are at least eight hundred thousand or so children who came to this country at a very young age, um, brought here by their parents, perhaps not with papers um, of, of, of legal immigration or protected status, but have grown up here, learned American values in American schools, are working American jobs, are paying American taxes, and yet um, the DACA protections, the deferred action um, child protections that were put into place in the last administration um, are up not only for expiration, but are catalyzed in expiration by this president's policies against immigrant communities. Um, this community, as you know, Sam, have been referred to as dreamers, um, and they seem to be American in every way except for one, and that's down on paper. So how do we actually, you know, you're running for Congress, you want to do something about this. Um, Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump said they were going to do something about this. But then right before the Christmas holidays, we don't have anything done about this. So what do you tell those that are out there wondering how we're going to protect our immigrant communities with the DACA question? But then more more broadly, can Congress actually be an effective institution from for some of our most challenging problems? We're going to need to elect a Congress that's actually willing to do the work and willing to stay the late nights and sacrifice and solve problems. Immigration, I've been working on this issue since I was a civil rights attorney at the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. And I saw it under three presidents now where there's been some effort to try and solve the issue in one way, shape, or form. And then political pressures and just distractions to want to do anything else but make a solution have uh, come into play. And some of it has to do with politics. For a lot of folks, not solving the issue is better politics for them. Hmm. And that's part of the problem of our system right now. And that's why people hate politics is that 
our political class often finds that it's better to not solve something and just use it as an election issue. So, you know, what's Donald Trump's real incentive to actually solving this issue? He's going to piss off his own base, and so he's just going to try and kick the can. And on our side, as Democrats, we have to hold firm and actually deliver results for people because if we're not delivering results, people are going to stop turning out. We saw that this past election. Hillary Clinton would have won had voters turned out. Donald Trump did not get more voters than Mitt Romney or John McCain. What happened was Democratic voters stayed, stayed at home. And had she gone anywhere near the Obama numbers, Hillary Clinton would be president right now. And that's on us as a party that we need to start showing solutions and results for people. And so when it comes to DACA, we should be fighting like hell to make sure that those 800,000 kids have a path to citizenship. We have the leverage in this dynamic because the Republicans cannot pass a government spending bill without our votes. It's a product of their party over-promising to a lot of people, on to their own guys on spending that, you know, so far. So on our end, like, we have leverage. Utilize the leverage. Force them to say, you know what, we don't want to shut down the government. We're going to give you something on DACA. Like, we can't cede that leverage. We have to hold firm. It's what people expect us to do, and it's the way you get people's respect. Standing on your principles and standing your ground sometimes is a necessary thing in politics, and it's the only way you're going to get leverage to be able to get compromise. Without standing your ground, you're not going to get compromise. And right now, we've got to do that. And so I think leaving for the holidays without solving DACA, I, I think that's a shame on Congress. Uh, you know, I don't know how it's remotely okay in any other setting to say, you know what, I'm going to go home for the holidays and not finish the job I'm paid to do. I'm just going to go home and take a vacation. In any other job, you'd be fired for that. But in Congress, that's how you get reelected. And so it's incumbent on voters to basically say, no, you know, you stay there and do your job. And to Nancy Pelosi's credit, she held the Democratic caucus down, and they all voted against this spending bill. And yeah. so you know, this is, this is not a criticism of her because she held that caucus down to say, no, we are opposing this thing because we're not getting anything out of it. And so hopefully she'll continue to hold the line and push them because – the Republicans need our votes for a lot of the things they have to do to fund the basics of the government. And so we've got to keep holding the line and keep using our leverage so that they'll come and give us some of the stuff because we still have a role to play in government as, as Democrats. It may be one party in power, but they're not unified, and so that gives us some degree of leverage. And in, and something that you said, uh, standing for your principles in an unwavering, unflinching way, um, increasingly needs to be core to to how we not only maintain our faith in institutions like Congress, um, but it, it seems to be increasingly core to how we represent our values as as a country um, at home and abroad. You know, powerful tools um, like the internet, like social networks, and beyond have really given identity of various nations far more visibility among other nations. And while America has long been marveled at both culturally, um, from an entertainment perspective, you know, artists being, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost uh, with godly like praise in other countries, TV shows being celebrated in other countries. Um, there's a, a lot of hope and value and intrigue and innovation that gets represented by uh, the core concept of what it means to be an American. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. 
And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Are we at a point in which the concept of how America is viewed or the, the ideals of America are being chipped away at because of condoning neo-Nazi behavior in Charlottesville or banning people from, from entering our, uh, our, our soil because they're from a certain country? Uh, is all of that changing the way that we're going to be perceived overseas? I mean, I think we should be concerned about it. I think it, it does have a role. I mean, Right now, we have a president who's trying to cede Americans' role as a leading nation on the global stage. We saw that with the Paris Agreement and withdrawing from it. We've seen that repeatedly with just some of his unilateral decisions as well as his rhetoric. America is supposed to be a leader in the global community. That's our place, and we've always been, and most international institutions really are dependent on us being a leader. And having an isolationist president like Donald Trump who's enabling bad behavior that sends a horrible signal across the world, whether it's calling his opponents fake news, which then empowers despots across the globe to say, yeah, their critics are fake news as well. That's right. Or, you know, authorizing neo-Nazis and, you know, looking the other way with their bad behavior. I don't think he realizes the repercussions of that behavior. And I think, you know, and this is probably the most shameful aspect of the Republican Party right now. People like Ed Royce, the guy who chairs the House Foreign Affairs Committee, he's yet to say one peep about any of this stuff in terms of what Donald Trump's doing in terms of the harm to our global image and what that does to endanger our troops as well as just here, you know, as well as endanger our economy. Like, it's, it's the irony of Republicans is they criticize President Obama because he wasn't an American exceptionalist when they've elected someone who undercuts all of the very fundamentals of American exceptionalism. And it, it's just fascinating to watch the hypocrisy also that they can get a tax credit that they've been yearning for for decades. <laughs> and so our job is to hold them accountable for this because America is an exceptional country. America is a leader. For America to walk off the global stage on climate change or to no longer be an honest broker to try and bring peace to regions across the world or just to be a silent actor when we're, our own elections are being hacked by a foreign agent like Russia. Like, what does that mean, and what signal does that send? And and who are we then as a country if we're not a leader? And so, you know, I think people need to be reminded of that. That there are a lot of people in Congress right now and in the Republican Party enabling really awful behavior that's going to have long-term repercussions solely to fulfill a domestic agenda that they've been yearning for for decades. And that's unacceptable, and it's also dangerous. And so that's the part of the Trump presidency that's probably the most dangerous and reckless is our place on the global stage is being eroded, and it's going to be really hard to recover that because what Trump's done is essentially shown that you can't trust the word of America. When you're dealing with America, now you have to wonder who's the next party in power and whether they're going to uphold that deal. Mm-hmm. Well, then we've never been that way. Yeah. And that, that sense of, you know, seamlessness 
during a transition of power uh, or, or handing off the baton um, has in many ways been core to our uh, you know, peaceful transfer of power and core to our democracy. Um, also core to that, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, this concept of lack of trust in infor- uh, institution given things like fake news or you know, false information or, or less than um, – Verified information, um, the, that that being represented, of course, by our First Amendment and the, the concept of free speech, uh, right, right in your own backyard, um, and and you you probably feel free to add more color if I'm getting this wrong, but um, in Brea, California, which I believe was is in the California 39th, um, your city council actually was voted uh, voting to to kind of curb First Amendment rights, the ability to speak out and protest, um, particularly in front of uh, Congressman Royce's office um, to make it you know more difficult or more illegal to do so um, y- you know with with a lot of commentary about how you know one or- news organization ought to be do- able to do its work or not do its work or actions like the Brea City Council or even Trump's own attorney saying that his right to free speech can sometimes uh, supersede others right to free speech how how are we supposed to take seriously this concept that we represent a, a republic that that fights for the right to free expression when there seems to be every day a different overture that wants to undercut that free expression? So first on the Brea point, fortunately, the city council decided to table the uh, ordinance until January, and there were a lot of legal questions raised, and I raised some myself as a lawyer, and the ACLU jumped in as well with you know, the ordinance they wanted to do was basically require a permit for 20 or more people to be able to protest their congressman on the sidewalk outside of his office, um, which is countless times those types of restrictions have been found to be unconstitutional. And this was another attempt there. And it's largely rooted in a couple things. One, the volume of concern and frustration and community engagement with the congressman office has been unprecedented. And so you know, they've never had to deal with this. So I think slightly in their defense, they just have never had to deal with this. And so they got a little concerned um, and they're concerned about what the costs would be if, you know, if you have a law enforcement presence. But the way to resolve that isn't to just outright attempt to ban protest. It's to figure out, okay, well, how can we do this in a way that, you know, doesn't interfere with people's constitutional rights and is good for the local community of folks to be able to pass by and things like that. And so I, I'm hoping that by tabling the resolution, they're going to listen to some of these concerns and criticisms and find a solution that's amenable um, or just don't touch the issue and, you know, don't risk potential lawsuits. But, you know, that's kind of emblematic of what's going on right now in America. People are very concerned with the direction of this administration. They're concerned with a complete rewrite of the tax code that they didn't sign up for. They're concerned with his attempt to take people's health care away. They're concerned with just that question we were talking about earlier with America's role in the global stage and what this president's doing to that. But also this just blatant disregard for the norms and expectations of what we expect from our public officials by this president. Yeah. And so with those concerns, it's going to become a degree of wanting to be more engaged and having more of a public presence. And – this attempt by Republicans to try and shut this down, and they're doing this in cities across California that have Republican members, by the way, it, it doesn't bode well for the health of our democracy. 
we've got to be a country that allows dissent. We've got to be a country that allows debate. The fact that Ed Royce hasn't held a town hall in seven years shows that he doesn't really want to listen to what his constituents have to say. And whether someone's a Democrat, Republican, or Independent, you represent everyone once you win the election. And we've got to get politics back to view things that way. In Donald Trump's mind, he still only represents the people that voted for him, when the reality is you're president of the United States, you represent everybody. And I think that's kind of like – that comes from the top down. That's setting a tone that isn't healthy and is very dangerous for our democracy. And so I think the goal is you bring new people in there to try and balance things out and try to help us just get off this course and stop fighting some of these old fights that have really defined this country and you know, get us in a better place because we're better than these conversations that are going on. We just have to start acting like it. I couldn't agree with you more, and particularly something that you said earlier really resonated, uh, uh, which is you know stand for something, you know go up there and fight for something. But um, regardless of from what direction you do it, whether it's party oriented or out of necessity or values oriented, make sure that you are committed to those principles. Um, you know, for for you know hundreds of thousands of of individuals out there who either turn on the news and you know agree or disagree with what our elected officials are doing um there is this moment in time as you stated a, a little bit earlier in which we have a window of opportunity to engage um whether that's caused by this president or whether that's you know denied by this president it is a window opportunity of opportunity and it is frankly a bit of a silver lining given our current uh, divisive politics what do you say to those that you know may be interested in in representing their communities, um, either in the way that you're doing by, you know, lacing up their shoes and going out there to run um, or protesting or drawing awareness to certain issue areas. Um, how can they best get involved regardless of their political motivations? Well, um, first and foremost, we need more people to run from all every community. I was just at a uh, mosque yesterday that had an interfaith dialogue, beautiful ceremony. They were talking about, you know, love and inclusion and uh, it, it was a wonderful ceremony because, like, you know, I come from a mixed race background. Um, both my parents are Christian, known folks from all walks of life and all types of communities over the years. And the stories and the ways that Donald Trump's trying to define communities and put people in a box and redefine what it means to be American is wrong. Our job now is to tell our story. So whether it's telling our story as a candidate for Congress like myself or running for school board or city council, or just getting engaged and showing up, whether it's to your current elected official's office or showing up to a campaign office and knocking on doors and making phone calls or making political contributions to help make sure that you're an investor in these campaigns. Get out there and tell our stories. This is a beautiful country with so many different types of people and so many different types of backgrounds. We can't let Donald Trump be the narrator on this conversation of who we are as Americans. And so, you know, my word of encouragement would be in 2018, there's going to be a lot of ways to get involved and, and storytell. Sign up and do it. You know, sign up to contribute. Sign up to volunteer. Sign up to host a house party. Bring your neighbors together and talk about these issues. Pick candidates and back those candidates and fight to help those candidates get elected. Or if you like someone already in office, help educate them so they can be more inclusive. Because that's what we're going to need in this Donald Trump moment. We're going to need to make sure, one, that it's only a moment. But two, from this moment, we don't leave it beaten down. We leave it more united and see that you know, just the tapestry of who this country is of just so many different types of folks. And 
being more reflective of that. Did did your you know I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask uh, in terms of telling your story as you grew up, um, you know, having a mom from Colombia, dad from Jordan, um, did that ever create a sense of of you know, tension in your identity? Did you ever feel that you were grasping at what it meant to be Sam Jamal or what it meant to be an American or what it meant to be a kid of those types of parents? Uh, yes, that's a good question. And uh, I, it's one of those, you're always kind of grappling because people like to put everyone in boxes. Uh, it's a human, it's, it's human nature. You want to be able to identify someone and define them. Okay, that's who they are. You know, but as someone who's Latino and Arab American and, you know, I am fair skinned and so I can blend it like anyone, you know, um, I've always been the person that can sit at many different tables, but never has necessarily just one table you can sit at. And in some ways, I think that's an asset because it allowed me to meet more people and understand more people's stories. But, you know, as a young man, that did make it difficult at times where it'd be easier if I could just fall into one table and just say this. Um, you know, as I've grown older, I've realized that it's a blessing because I can connect and reflect and converse and advocate for different folks because I have a little bit of everyone in me, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, where we're going is we're going to be even more of a diverse and multicultural country, but, you know, it does create tensions and sometimes it leaves that feeling of being an outsider, you know, yeah. I'm never going to be Arab American enough. I'm never going to be Latino enough, but those are who I am. And those are a part of my stories. And at the same time, like, you know, I spent my whole life in this country. I'm an American and, you know, I've committed myself to public service in this country. And so it is constantly that push pull, you know, making sure people remember and be inclusive and trying to be someone that leads and tries to make sure that everyone's welcome. Because like, I've been blessed that people have been welcome to me throughout my life and I want to be able to pay that forward. Sam Jamal, ladies and gentlemen, a lawyer by training, fighter by necessity. Um, Sam, for, for any of our listeners that are interested in um, helping out, getting involved um, in, in the California 39th, uh, any, any plugs for where they can you know sign up, get involved, or help donate? Yes, yes. So my website is Sam, S-A-M, the number four, congress.com so sam4congress.com and you can sign up there at our join link if you want to volunteer if you're able to contribute we have a red donate button we're building out a grassroots campaign we have almost 2,000 donors to date and have been in this race for five months people contributing what they can and helping us build this out and we're going to continue to do that because we're going to be a campaign that's on the ground and in the community so uh, definitely appreciate any support, whether it's volunteering or contributions at Sam, the number four, congress.com. That's great, Sam. And also, I forgot to say at the very top, um, you, you mentioned your dad uh, used to work at Jack in the Box. Big fan of those two tacos for 99 cents, by the way. Oh, I love Big the tacos. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to have some for lunch today. So <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Keep it on message. Um, thanks so much for being here, Sam. Really appreciate it. Happy holidays to you. Good luck out there, and thanks for fighting. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Happy holidays. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. 
Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of this show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.